This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show. We will be joined in just a few moments by Michael Clare, Professor Emeritus of Peace and World Security Studies. We want to have a conversation. I want to have a conversation about the present state of affairs in Ukraine. But first, we have a fish wrap for you. Today's newspaper is tomorrow's fish wrap. And the fish wrap for the day is the runoff for the Senate seat in Georgia, where uh, Raphael Warnock has won with 51.4% of the votes. That's 1,817,465 votes to Herschel Walker's 1,719,868. You don't have to memorize those numbers. 51.4% to 48.6%. And it was really interesting, I think, watching Steve Karnacki at the MSNBC election board last night. It was like watching a really exciting uh Sporting event. He's such a character. I love it. He is. He is. And he lo- this is a person who loves their work. It's really quite spectacular. Uh, and I think that for people who went to bed yesterday evening or woke up today saying, yes, we are a safer country with 51 Democrats to 49 Republicans in the United States Senate. And I must say, I feel a little bit like Debbie Downer. Uh, <laughs> look, I'm thrilled that Warnock won. I think it would have been a total disaster for Herschel Walker to have become a United States senator. That said, the fact that he could receive over 1,700,000 votes, that he could win 48.6% of the votes in Georgia. Herschel Walker, he is the worst candidate ever, ever selected by a party to run for a major position, I think. I can think of one other one, maybe, that rose to a higher office even than senator. But, but, not, he's but definitely given that one a run for his money. But in some ways, okay, we, let's not go down that path. <laughs> it's, it's a long path to go down. But here, here's my feeling, is that it's if the Republicans had selected almost anyone else, a random Republican on the street who did not pay for uh, abortions and be adamantly opposed to all abortions, including in cases of rape and incest and when the life of the mother is jeopardized. He was opposed to all abortion, but he just for his girlfriend's act, we'll have an abortion, I'll pay for him. Um, And domestic violence uh, and uh, statements that were so horrifyingly inane that even even Republicans, adamant Republican, Trump Republicans couldn't defend them. And these most recent accusations, his campaign didn't even respond to them. And yet he received 48.6% of the votes. And he almost had me with the werewolf vampire thing. I mean, that was interesting. But then I eventually continued to look at Raphael Warnock. Did you did you hear what Barack Obama said about that? Yes. That was very funny. <laughs> Barack Obama, for those of our listeners who didn't know, was saying, yes, and Herschel Walker was down campaigning uh, for Raphael Warnock uh, last week, and he said, yes, it's a very important, and we know that uh, the Republican candidate is very concerned about uh, werewolves versus uh, vampires. vampires. Yes. And that is something that has really concerned me. I was really concerned about that uh, when I was seven. Yeah. <laughs> and... Of course, the crowd was just, uh, I just thought that was hysterically <laughs> funny, as did I. But I, I think we have to look at what this country really, really, and what this vote represents, which is there is an enormous swath of this country that doesn't matter how horrifying a human being the candidate may be, no matter how incompetent he may be, 
no matter what he doesn't stand for, as long as he will give the religious right and corporate America their vote. It's good with us, 48.6%. And, okay, we have a reprieve in Georgia, but I think it actually represents that the country is in deep, deep danger. Because we're still so attracted to celebrity culture. Herschel Walker is a household name, and the fact that he gained so much traction because he's a household name, I think despite all of the things that you listed, making him a very poor candidate, gets people's attention. There was a, a, a movie, a farce, from 2006 called Idiocracy that was written and directed by the guy who created Beavis and Butthead, of all things. And uh, it was not supposed to turn into fact. It was supposed to be a cautionary tale. When you watch this movie now, if you haven't seen it, uh, it kind of sets the playbook for what the U.S. could look like and has turned into since that what was just a comedy came out in the mid part of the, the noughties there. I appreciate it. Tell us the name of the it's film. It's called Idiocracy, and it, uh, it says an awful lot. It's, I think, I, I think yes, it's, it's a grand day for democracy. Uh, there is a reprieve, but I don't think it's much of a reprieve, reprieve in the sense the Supreme Court is still an overtly political right-wing institution that is governing the United States uh, there are cases in front of the court, which is, has, op, which is operating a stealth docket, which is vacating uh, decisions below, wiping them out as if they never existed. In untold numbers, this has never happened before. This is a court that is endorsing authoritarianism and making itself the ruler of the country in a significant way. Let's turn to Michael Clare, because we haven't... Uh, I'm sure there's some good news with Russia and Ukraine. (laughs) (laughs) Michael Clare, a professor emeritus of peace and world security studies from Hampshire College, defense correspondent for the nation, prolific author on energy and military issues. Michael Clare, thank you so much for being back with us. A lot has happened in Ukraine this week. I'd appreciate your perspective with regard to Vladimir Putin uh, driving over the bridge, the... uh, it, it, it just I don't even know how to begin to describe the attacks on the civilian infrastructure of the country by Russia, an escalation of uh, going after Russian military assets by Ukraine. It seems to me this war is becoming uh, even more intense. The fighting is escalating, not decreasing as we get to these cold winter months. And it seems the Ukraine is suffering enormously. I'd appreciate your perspective and what you think the next few days or weeks or months will hold. Uh, Well, thank you, Bill. Um, You know, we've spoken about this before on on your show. And what I've said is more or less before, what I've said before we see playing out now, which is to say that Russia has been defeated on almost every front. It's been defeated in the ground war uh, in Ukraine itself, its forces are in retreat. It's been defeated in the international public space. It's been discredited. And something that's very interesting to me, its threats of nuclear escalation have not succeeded in altering the picture. Uh, they, they, he's made these threats and uh, they, they haven't intimidated anyone. He's also made a lot of economic threats uh, to punish the Europeans and NATO for supporting the Ukrainians. And NATO has stood up to him so far. So all of his threats uh, 
all of his efforts have come to naught, and that has left him with only one option uh, to achieve his goals, which is to batter the Ukrainian people into submission by denying them uh, the means to live a normal life by destroying their electrical and heating and water and sewage infrastructure. Now, th 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 these are crimes of war. And if ever uh, there were to be of reckoning, uh, these are the kinds of behaviors that are spelled out in the Hague and the Geneva protocols that are, that are spelled out very clearly as crimes of war to attack civilian infrastructure. But that's what he apparently is all he has left as a strategy is to try to batter the Ukrainians population, the civilian population to uh, wave a white flag and to try to settle uh, a some kind of negotiated outcome that gives him something that gives Putin something to claim as a victory. Now, Ukrainians up to this point are not accept, are not giving in, and they appear to be poised for further offensive action. So that's where things stand now. It, does any of this get the world and Ukraine and Russia any closer to sitting down at a table to negotiate? Not you know, I don't think at this point, uh, because I think both sides want to see whether they still have some cards to play before there's a negotiation. This is my sense. I think the U Ukrainian leadership, headed by President Zelensky, believes before they sit down, they want to drive Russia out of more Ukrainian territory. And I think Putin doesn't want to sit down uh, un unless he's satisfied that he will come out of the negotiations with a gain from where things stood on February 24th, when he invaded Ukraine. And neither of those conditions has yet, you know, is yet to be determined. Uh, Putin may try to mobilize more troops. There are rumors today that he's going to call up more Russians uh, for service in Ukraine. And that may be the next step. Uh, eventually, there will be negotiations, and those negotiations will determine where the line between Russian and Ukrainian territory lies. And, uh, you know, both sides want to ensure uh, that they have the best possible outcome you know, the most territory, and they're, they're not ready yet to give up on the military option to determine that. Well, it strikes me that this is a bit of the immovable object and the unstoppable force, which is Crimea, because uh, Zelensky says we're taking back Crimea, and Putin said never. And those seem to me to be two positions that are not going to change. Well, maybe Zelensky's. But what do you think about that? You know, my sense is that uh, this is just my sense, Bill, uh, that that Ukraine, the Ukrainians do not have the capacity to to take Crimea back through force. I, I don't think that. 
I think that they may be able to push Russian forces back in Donetsk and Luhansk in, in the Donbass region to where they were uh, before the fighting began. I think they might be able to drive them out of the Zaporizhia region where that nuclear power plant is. That would be very important if Ukraine could uh, recapture that nuclear power plant, the largest in Europe. I think the Ukrainians may be seeking to um, recapture Mariupol, the, the city that was bombed out of existence by the Russians. Yeah, and not much not much left there to recapture, but yes, they could get No, there. but but it would achieve, it would uh, close the land bridge to Crimea and and leave it isolated again. So they may try something like that. I don't think they have the capacity to drive the Russians out of Crimea. Michael, Clark, let me ask you this. We just have another couple minutes left. Uh, there has been a lot of coverage about this imposition of a price cap on Russian oil, uh, which has continued to flow and which has continued to support and pay for Russia's invasion of Ukraine. What do you think of the $60 a barrel uh, cap? And is it going to work? And what's it, you've written a lot about energy and economics. What, what does this mean? Can you explain this to uh, us lay people, please? It, it's, it's complicated even for people who know the oil business. Uh, the idea is, uh, well, as of yesterday, the European Union uh, ceased allowing purchases of Russian oil in the European Union. So uh, the uh, fear is that uh, this will drive the price of oil because then they'll have to buy from the other countries that are left and everybody's going to have to scramble, including us, to buy from a smaller supply of oil, which typically would drive the price of oil sky high and, and accelerate the possibility of a recession around the world, which would be bad for, uh, for Biden and, and for the Europeans. So they want, they want Russia to continue selling oil, but they don't want Russia to make a lot of money selling oil. So they're trying to cap the price that Russia can sell oil at. And they're doing that by, by, by forcing uh, shipping companies and insurance companies not to deal with oil shipments by Russia at higher than $60 a barrel. Now that's gonna be pretty hard to enforce. And so I'm, I'm dubious that it's gonna work out but but the idea is to achieve two things simultaneously lower russia's profits from oil and and still keep oil flowing around the world and avoid a recession and gee i think i think those are two hard two things that are that are going to be hard to pull off we're going to leave it there we've been talking with professor michael clare professor emeritus of peace and world security studies defense correspondent for the nation magazine prolific author on energy and military issues he's been with us since the beginning of the Ukraine war coming on the show regularly. We really appreciate your time, your insights, and your expertise, Michael Clare. Thank you so very much. Sure thing, Bill. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. 
Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday Downtown Sounds? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Downtown Sounds Workers Co-op, a music store with new and used instruments and lessons. Live online or live in person. First lessons free when you buy an instrument. Plus, repairs of musical instruments and equipment. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. In this the season of thanks and giving, United Way of Franklin and Hampshire Region wants to remind you to support the organizations and people who are doing the hard work of making our community a better place. Please consider supporting a local nonprofit with a tax-deductible gift this December. If you're not sure how to help, go to uw-fh.org to find a list of United Way vetted partner agencies. The United Way of the Franklin and Hampshire Region asks you to help make the Valley a happier, healthier, and more equitable place for everyone. If you are into free, you'll love Greenfield Savings Bank's free checking. Of course, there are no monthly fees and no fees for check or deposit transactions. But that's just the beginning. With GSB free checking, you get free online banking, free e-statements, and free GSB mobile app, which lets you bank from anywhere, anytime, including depositing checks from your mobile device. Plus, GSB Online Banking and the GSB mobile app come with the free GSB Credit Center where you can get your credit score and credit report for free. And the GSB mobile app also lets you control your GSB debit card remotely from your mobile device, which also comes free with your GSB free checking account. You can also set up alerts and controls for your free GSB debit card. Open your account online or at any of our offices. And did I mention the free welcome gift when you open your account? Switch to free at Greenfield Savings Bank. Greenfield Savings Bank. Greenfieldsavings.com. Member FDIC. Member DIF. Mobile carrier charges may apply. Welcome the arrival of the new year in the heart of historic Old Deerfield at the Friends of Deerfield Jubilee. On New Year's Eve, we're kicking off a year-long celebration of Deerfield's 350th anniversary. Enjoy a gourmet dinner, cash bar, raffles, and music by the O-Tones of Northampton. Tickets are $100 or $180 for two. For tickets and more information, please visit friendsofdeerfield.org. Thank you to our sponsors, Greenfield Savings Bank, AFI Furnishings, and Ralph's Blacksmith's at PV Squared Solar, we live by our mission, energizing a brighter future for people and planet. This year, we are celebrating our 20th anniversary. 20 years of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar. 20 years of relationships founded on trust and clean energy. 20 years of powerful cooperation. Thank you for the partnerships along the way, and we look forward to serving this community for 20 years more. Happy birthday, PV Squared! Learn more at pvsquared.coop. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is Cool Films with Larry Hott, the Florence-based Emmy Award-winning documentary filmmaker. Larry Hott, what do you have for us today, Larry? I have one of the greatest and most interesting and weirdest and strangest films you'll ever see. And it happens to be opening at the Amherst Cinema on Friday. How convenient. It's called All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. And it's by Laura Portress who you might know from Citizen Four, the Edward Snowden film, and The Oath, and My Country, My Country, all wonderful, very political films. So what is this film about? Have you heard of it? It is quite getting quite the buzz. Tell me the title again. It's All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. 
So I, I read the little synopsis of the film, thinking it was one thing, and finding out it was something else altogether. The synopsis is that a art, an artist, Nan Golden, famous for her strange photography about, it's, it's sort of like Diane Arbus photography, of people, who, uh, sex workers, people who are addicted, people with all kinds of problems. What she does is goes up against all the museums in the world, and I'm not exaggerating, the Guggenheim, the Louvre, the Met, to get them to take Sackler's names off of their galleries. The Sackler family. Who are the Sackler family? Yes, remind us. I will remind you. The Sackler family are the owners of Purdue. I love the interviews where you do both parts. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Bill, if you're not asking the right questions, I have to ask them myself. (laughs) I know, I know. I'm just trying to get a word in edgewise here. Answer the question you want to answer, not the question you were asked, right? We learned that from debates. So Purdue Pharma, not the chicken, but but the other Purdue, uh, produces OxyContin. And they are in hot water and have been for years because they have promoted the drug to the point where people have become addicted. Right, and the Sackler family was sued, and they've lost judgments for it for billions and billions, billions of dollars. Well, they, they negotiated a judgment by which they personally would not be responsible, although they would put billions into it. They themselves were avoiding criminal responsibility. Okay. But this film, part of it, is about the idea that a, a family that gains its popular positive notoriety by putting its name on big museums all over the world should not have their names there when they have contributed to the death of not millions, at least hundreds and hundreds of thousands in the United States alone and all over the world. I think if we hear a clip from this, you'll get a sense of how strange and wonderful this film is. Photography is like a flash of euphoria and it gave me a voice. Once I started sharing the work, it was really heavy resistance, especially from male artists and gallerists who said, this isn't photography. Nobody photographs their own life. The photographer, Nan Golden, she's a major name in the art world. The work was incredibly political. It was about power, and particularly about the power that men have over women and how that power is translated up in society. 100,000 dead! 100,000 dead! There's the Sackler family of the art world, the museum world, and philanthropy, and then there's the big pharma marketing and addiction and death. My anger at the Sackler family, it's personal. When you think of the profit of people's pain, you can only be furious. So you might think this film is about marketing, addiction, and death, which it is. But it's also a biography of Nan Golden. And how do you do that in a film? How do you have both a biography of the artist and a political movement? Now, that's not that unusual if you think about it, except the way that this film is structured is there are sections that go on for a long time, 10, 15 minutes, that are just about the artist. Now, luckily for the filmmaker, the artist has documented her entire life. That's what her art is. Not only her life, but the life of everybody around her. And this woman had a very traumatic upbringing. Her sister committed suicide by throwing herself on the railroad tracks. She has middle-class parents who have never apparently acknowledged 
pain that they've caused their family. And she herself was a sex worker and had been addicted before and was a major part of the AIDS protests in the 80s and 90s. All of this is documented not only in her personal photographs, but in slideshows that she has done that are in museums because her work is extraordinary. So what the film does is it takes you through these slideshows as narrated by Nan Golden, but then flips over to the protests that she is leading with a group called PAIN, which is an acronym, I can't remember the, exactly what for right now, but it's an acronym that describes what their, act, what their action is against the Sackler family uh, for distributing these drugs and pushing these drugs on people. And does it tell the story of the removal of the names from various venues? Yes, yes, and that's where the tension comes in the film, although you, you kind of get a sense from the beginning that they're going to they're gonna win. Well, the opening scene takes place in, at the Metropolitan Museum in the Temple of Dendur. I mean, this is something out, out of a Spielberg movie. You know, uh, the, you, you feel like you've you're gone back into the past. It's the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And there they are in the Temple of Dendur, and the, the documentary filmmaker is with them with a hidden camera when, posing as tourists, they come into the Temple of Dendur and then start throwing uh, prescription bottles all over the place. It's a recurring theme in the film where you see these prescription bottles floating in fountains outside of museums around the world. There's a wonderful scene in the Guggenheim where they populate all those circular stairways of the Guggenheim and start throwing prescription pads down like, like confetti onto the floor while the museum staff has no idea what to do. So the film creates this tension about what has happened in this woman's life, what drove her to become this kind of activist, what happened in the background of the past with her family, and then what's going to happen to the Sackler family and to the museums, and how can they, to the museums which are constantly trying to resist the kind of protests, how eventually they give in. When I watched this film, at first I thought, I, I, I don't understand what's going on here. There's too many, too many stories. And as it came together, I immediately thought, seeing as I'm judging this for the Academy Awards, this is the front runner contender. This is the film other films are gonna have to beat. Uh, and as I started looking up what, how other people's reaction to the film was, all were saying the same thing. This is a great work of art, an important statement on our society, a portrait of an artist in pain and of a country actually addicted because of pain. It's a great combination of all those things. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed uh, is opening at the Amherst Cinema on December December 9th. 9th. December 9th. I'm not sure how long it will play. Uh, eventually, it, of course, will go through all their usual platforms, um, but we have the pleasure of being able to promote this at our local cinema, uh, and it's well worth seeing, and I think because it's so beautifully done, it's something that's worth seeing on the big screen if you can. Yeah, we should note that it is, in addition to being a Larry Hot pick, it is also a New York Times uh, critics pick. I mean, this, yeah. this film is being... Uh, widely. Oh, yeah, people are claimed. really responding to this to this film. Uh, one of the key characters in the film is Patrick Raiden Keefe, who uh, you might recall wrote the 2017 New Yorker article about this whole effort, and now here it is five years later, still ongoing, but he is the glue that holds it all together, because Nan Golden is quite a wild person. The filmmaker herself, you can tell, she's very energetic and interesting, and then you have the solid interview with Patrick Raiden Keefe, who becomes just so believable that he's the anchor of the movie. So you have actually three stories going on, the reporter, the filmmaker, and the artist. 
I'd point out that on the Amherst Cinema website, it does show that there will be showings beginning Friday at 1.44, and 9.25, and for the next week. Uh, this is a film that I think we all really want to see. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more cool films with Larry Hart right after this. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Environmental activists in Springfield, Longmeadow, and beyond are organizing in opposition to a new natural gas pipeline that Eversource wants to build through downtown Springfield. They're concerned about increasing reliance on fossil fuels at a time when the world needs more clean energy investments, as well as the health risks of gas leaks and explosions. Naya Tenerowitz, a member of the Springfield Climate Justice Coalition. This is not about reliability, it's about making Eversource money. Activists are trying to increase awareness of a virtual public comment session about the project on December 14th. The Energy Facilities Siting Board will hear from the public before making a decision to approve the project. Amherst police have been receiving numerous reports that catalytic converters are being stolen in the overnight hours. According to Amherst police, to recognize whether or not yours has been stolen, you may hear a loud roaring noise that wasn't there before. Police say the Toyota Prius is the most common vehicle of this type of theft, but any vehicle is still a target. And residents in Florence are spreading the holiday cheer. 150,000 lights have been strung up throughout downtown, including decorative wreaths and intricate window displays of winter scenes. The Gazette reports much of the decoration was done by a small group of volunteers from the Florence Civic and Business Association. Look Memorial Park also got in on the fun, running a contest last month for businesses that displayed holiday-themed storefront displays. The winner received $1,000 and a tree on the park's Santa's train display, which returns this year for the first time since the pandemic. Rain and drizzle today, still mild with a high of 50 to 54. Partial clearing tonight, overnight lows of 36 to 42. Mostly sunny and breezy on Thursday with a high of 48 to 52. Mostly sunny mid-40s on Friday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. La empresa de Donald Trump fue declarada culpable de fraude fiscal el martes por ayudar a los ejecutivos a evadir impuestos sobre lujosas ventajas como apartamentos en Manhattan y autos de lujo en un importante repudio a las prácticas financieras en el negocio del expresidente. Un jurado encontró culpables a dos entidades corporativas de la organización Trump de los 17 cargos, incluidos cargos de conspiración y falsificación de registros comerciales. El propio Trump no estaba en juicio. El veredicto llegó el segundo día de deliberación. La condena es una validación para los fiscales de Nueva York que llevan tres años investigando al expresidente y sus negocios. Como castigo, la organización Trump podría recibir una multa de hasta 1.6 millones de dólares, una cantidad relativamente pequeña para una empresa de su tamaño, aunque la condena podría complicar algunos de sus acuerdos futuros. Trump, quien recientemente anunció que volvería a postularse para presidente, dijo que el caso contra su compañía era parte de una cacería de brujas por motivos políticos. Hablando fuera del juzgado, el abogado de la organización Trump, Alas Futerfas, prometió apelar. 
En otras informaciones, la fecha límite para obtener la identificación real necesaria para abordar un vuelo nacional ha sido retrasada nuevamente y el Departamento de Seguridad Nacional citó el impacto persistente de la pandemia de COVID-19 para el lanzamiento más lento de lo esperado. La fecha límite para tener un Real ID había sido el 3 de mayo de 2023, pero el Departamento de Seguridad Nacional anunció el lunes que se ha retrasado dos años hasta el 7 de mayo de 2025. Esta extensión dará a los estados el tiempo necesario para garantizar que sus residentes puedan obtener una licencia o tarjeta de identificación que cumpla con Real ID, dijo el secretario de Seguridad Nacional Alejandro Mallorcas en un comunicado de prensa. Yo soy Johan Rashivega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue with Emmy Award-winning filmmaker Larry Hott. We are so pleased that Larry is going to share with us another film. Oh, and before he does, let me uh, note again for our listeners that Behind the Shield, we've been talking about the Amherst Cinema, Behind the Shield interview yesterday with Sujawi. It sounds like an amazing film, one showing only this evening at 7 o'clock. So at the Amherst Cinema. Larry Hot, you have another film you want to share with us. What is it? I do, and I apologize in advance because... Oh, my God, you sound like a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Please direct your comments and emails to Natalia Muñoz. <laughs> I am going to talk about a film that contains possibly the worst earworm in American history. The name of the film is The Day the Music Died. Can you guess what the song is? Yeah. Hello, hello, Miss American Pie. Bye Bye Miss American Pie by Don McLean. And it is a biography of the song, a biography of the nation, a biography of the people who were killed in the famous plane crash that inspired the song, if you remember. So I think the big bopper, the Richie big, bop, the big bopper, Richie, Richie Valens sounds Buddy Holly. So let's hear a clip from this film so you can get that song in your mind and not get it out of your head yeah for the rest of the come. day it's going to be oh, a no, really months, long day years maybe <laughs> goodness this could quite possibly be the greatest song in music history i love the melody he takes you on a journey long long time ago it really is timeless i can still remember how that music used to make no one's ever written anything like it since But They wrote all the verses in like an hour, like a genie out of a bottle. I knew I had a tiger by the tail. A tiger by the tail. Oh my God! Don McLean is so pretentious in this film. <laughs> he's so he's so big, and there's people saying, "Oh, it is the greatest song ever written in the history oh of the universe." God. Oh my God! <laughs> you could see me on the radio now. I, my finger is down my throat. But but the film, trying to upchuck some American pie. <laughs> <laughs> but the film is still fun for certain reasons. One is it goes into great detail on what happened on that night in 1959 after the the big show with Buddy Holly and Richie Valens and Big Bopper leaves the surf ballroom in Iowa and again this little plane and an inexperienced pilot who gets confused and he puts the throttle in the wrong direction or whatever that thing is called and he goes down instead of up and they're all killed within three minutes. Right, and we meet Richie Valens' sister, 
um, and we hear the history of, of, of Buddy Holly. But what we don't get, and we never get, is any mention of Big Bopper, except he's on the plane. So we don't hear about Chantilly lace and a pretty face and a ponytail hanging down, a wiggling, a walk, and a giddle, and talk, make the world go round and round. And nothing in the world like a big eye girl. Yeah, it's so funny. It's like a long eye girl. Oh, baby. Wait, wait, wait. Pick you up at eight. Don't be late. Oh, wait. That's what I We all knew all those We don't get any of that. We don't get it. What we get is Garth Brooks, who apparently, I didn't know this, made his career out of singing American Pie. And then we have a whole section on Pete Seeger, of all people, <laughs> of all people, because... Pete Seeger, not Bob Seeger, no, at least. Pete, <laughs> no, they were cousins. Pete Seeger, who, who groomed Don McLean. Don McLean comes to him as a like 19-year-old kid and joins the, the troupe. And no. Be, yes, yes, and lives on the Hudson, and this is where he writes the song. And there happens to be this, I think it's a recreation, done around the time of the writing of the song, where they, they film him... So supposedly writing this song, but cause, of course he wasn't famous at all when he wrote the song. And he claims that he wrote the whole song in an hour. Right? And then it, laboriously, tediously, he goes through every lyric. You know, oh Jack be nimble, Jack be quick. I mean, this, it is idiocy, right? It's, it's pablum. It's pablum. But it is also... Tell us how you really feel. Right, stop holding back. I'll tell you something. It, you know, it's all the, all the beauty and the horror. This is the horror part of it. But, so as a member of the Academy, this one's getting your vote. Yeah? Well, you're not supposed to say what you're going to vote for, but I could just you, you got the idea that it might not be in the top 15. Still, it is, it is worth... Well, I'm going to say it's worth a listen. It's not worth a listen because you'll get stuck in your head all day long. But it is <laughs> worth seeing the sections about Richie Valens and his sister and Buddy Holly and getting a sense of how important Buddy Holly was. You know, he, he didn't put out his... I don't think he put out his first album. and It was put out uh, uh, posthumously. What's that word? Posthumously. 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 Posthumously, right. So Peggy Sue and all the great hits that we remember, they're actually on the album that comes out after Buddy Holly dies, who was all of 20 Really? The old. album wasn't out when he was on the Ed I Sullivan think the show? Singles the were singles out, were out, but they're not a, a and album And Richie Valens was 17 years old. Yeah, he was very young. Yeah, and there's actually a sweet scene where his older sister, who is now in her 70s, goes through the lyrics of La Bamba, which are very simple, right? But well, Rich, Richie Valens only had two hit songs. Yeah, I don't know what it was besides La Bamba. Oh, Donna. Oh, Donna. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Donna. She, uh, where she, can you be? I love that oh, song. Thank you, Bill. That's a beautiful one. We could go. We could just do the sing along with all these. I would rather have that as an earworm. Oh, Donna. Oh, Donna. Oh, man. I had a girl. Donna was her name. We're all drunk. They wouldn't let them enter the Young at Heart chorus. We're almost eligible for Young at Heart. Since you left me, it's never. Never been the same. Okay, that's enough. Larry talk. Larry's got one minute left. Well, I got one minute left. Uh, all right, so I'll give this give this film uh, its due. The film opens with uh, him singing "Long, Long Time Ago," which actually I think is a good opening to a song because it's a way of saying "Once Upon a Time," and he does tell the story, eight and a half minute story. And if you and if you compare it to Arlo Guthrie's "Alice's Restaurant," it fails miserably, right? Which "Alice's Restaurant" actually embodies something really about the period in time which was uh, the draft protesters, right? What was going on in the Vietnam War. Whereas this is a throwback. He writes it in 1971 and goes back to 1959 and tries to make this case that the music died when a, pl a plane crash happened. It didn't, 
right? It actually, the music started <laughs> when that plane crashed out. Although Buddy Holly and the, and, 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 uh, the Big Bopper uh, were influential in American music and, uh, and, and the invasion and the British invasion. Absolutely. Uh, and okay. all of those groups. Right. But this, of course, you know, there's a much bigger history to rock and roll, which goes back to jazz and African-American influence. None of that is even mentioned in this, in this film. So it's fluff. It's a piece of fluff, but it's a lot of fun. I paid attention. It carried me along. I had a good laugh, and I was able to make you enjoy it as well. I thought you said this is the worst doc you've seen. <laughs> that doesn't... Yes. People love to watch you a train So catch me in a contradiction, why don't you? <laughs> or, or a plane crash, I guess, in this case. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I think we're taking a break, and I think we'll be right back. <laughs> Did you write the book of love, and do you have faith in God above? You know what? I'd rather hear this one. Hello, baby. Yeah, this is the Big Bopper speaking. This is Bill Newman, <laughs> WHMP. Oh, you sweet man. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. So this is Massachusetts' way of saying we think it's an important program. We think it's important enough to continue for students and their families. And we're going to put the money up front to make sure it continues so that if the federal government does not renew it, Massachusetts will still have universal school meals. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. I chose community mental health to serve populations that are often underserved. Megan is a therapist at ServiceNet. One core value at ServiceNet is to continue to learn, to really strive for the most effective treatment. If you're looking for a strong sense of community and collaboration, come to ServiceNet. If you're a licensed mental health clinician who wants to make your own hours while also being part of a progressive community mental health team, join us at ServiceNet. Go to the employment page at servicenet.org. 586-1000. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you. Until now. Now when you call, we'll answer. And if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance. Cooper's Corner Store in Florence can be a real time saver for you around the holidays. When you run out, run in. They have what you need. Cooper's is also the place to order fresh, baked, from scratch pies or to pick up a nice wine or fresh produce or deli platters. Cooper's Corner, a part of the community for nearly 50 years. They're the Coopers. They're your neighbors. They treat you right. Main and Chestnut Streets, Route 9, Florence, open every day of the year. And in Northampton, State Street Fruit Store, Deli Wines and Spirits has what you need for the holidays and all year long. Cooper's Corner Markets open in Florence on Christmas Day until 1 p.m. 
State Street Fruit Stores also open until 1. They're sister stores. Would you expect less from sisters? Make the holidays easier and pre-order your pies and platters. And if you wake up Christmas morning missing something, not to worry. It's all at Cooper's and State Street. Open seven days and on Christmas till 1. That was fun. <laughs> a little bit of a different intro time <laughs> in the other segment there. Although I accidentally played the Los Lobos version instead of the Richie oh, wait, Valens no. version, but so, yeah. still in Espanol. Hey, Bill. Natalia Munoz. <laughs> Viacom Munoz. Larry Hot. Monty, this is sí. my love fest to you. Uh oh. You know I love you. I love you. You're este, you have you are like so awesome in so many ways. And I know you've been told a lot of times. It's not just the work you do as a program host. It's the work you do in the community. And it's not just the work you do in the community. It's how you're coherent in your, you're just coherent. You're just a good, kind person in every aspect that I know you. You're just a kind guy. And you know how much I hate men. I do. So the fact that I love you, and it's like, you know, you and Bill, I, I have said you're like the, my ladies, you're my sisters, because you both have, Larry Hot, you don't. You both have. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you I both have I a real good sense. <laughs> <laughs> good thing I didn't have coffee in my mouth there. It would have been an actual spit take right there. <laughs> okay, we're going to change this. Ready? <laughs> Bernie Sanders. <Okay. laughs> there. <laughs> I'm actually liking Bernie Sanders a lot these days. I follow him on YouTube. Um, and I think that the, the quality of kindness is missing from every aspect of everything in American society. And I think that when I, th I feel very lucky that I stumbled into you guys and have been washed by your kindness over and over many times. I'm going to miss you, dude. I'm just going to miss you. For those who uh, didn't pay attention yesterday, I, I announced that this is my last week doing mornings here in Northampton on both the River and with the Bill Newman Show. Well, I won't be a stranger to the radio. I will uh, be getting up a little bit later from yeah. now on. That must be fun. I don't know. We'll find out. I wonder if you're still going to get up really early just out of you know years of habit. I do know morning show hosts who claim that they were never able to actually break out of that circadian rhythm. So uh, I'm hoping I will be able to. Yeah. yeah. And for those of our listeners who missed this yesterday, Monty gets up around 2 to get here by yeah. 3 to begin his preparation for his show at 6 yeah. and does 3, 4 hours of radio. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then his day starts. Yeah, you get the third shift. Yeah, You're like I know. a third shift guy. And that's not healthy lifestyle for too long, and I've been doing it for 17 years, and that's a huge part of the reason that I'm making this life decision. Yeah, yeah. So I have a question, remedial, on the Monty Belmonte lifestyle. On weekends, can you sleep past two or three? I give myself jet lag every single weekend, which is also wow. not healthy to do. So I try to stay. Sometimes I'll take a nap on a Friday afternoon or drink an extra mm -hmm. cup of coffee late and then try to push. That wasn't what I, th I didn't think it was going to be drinking know, coffee. Did I you think know, it was going to be no, drinking coffee? not at all. <laughs> that comes it's later. Like another and, Jameson. Yeah. And then I, uh, I stay up. I often, especially, if, you know, since the pandemic, my thing on the weekend is watching, binge watching television with my son Enzo. And I try to rally. And that's the other thing. You're such a, you're, you're, you're a great dad. And that is also something, as, as you know, I did not grow up with a father. I grew up with my grandfather, so that's like a father. And I do have a father. But anyway, it's not present the way you are so present, even with your, your very challenging schedule to be there, to keep including your children in your own 
your own life like that. And you know, it's 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 really easy to take for granted all of this, but it's not one of the few voices uh, throughout you know the worst one of the worst times in contemporary history. Este, you are you have always been responsible about the news that you share. You don't exaggerate it. You you know you don't buy into the whole way of of spewing hate and getting people to feel scared, and then out of that fear, then they become hateful towards what they don't know. And I think that's been very important in broadcast to have that, to have your present presence here. And I say the same thing for Larry and uh, Bill, um, the three of you. Um, but we're just focusing on you, Monty. Monty, you gave me my break also. You know, I came in like the barreling down, accusing HMP of just, you know, you're all white, you don't do anything. You <laughs> Can I say something? Yes. It was like, you, you suck. <laughs> you got to hire me and then you'll suck a little bit less. And, este, and then you she and was su- She was subtle. <laughs> <laughs> that, was what we, that's, that was my on my letter of recommendation for Natalia. Very subtle. But we'll nonetheless make her point somehow. And it was just, yeah. And you, you, were, you, know, you both were just so always encouraging. And I remember, Monty, you always saying to me, because I was very scared at first, you know, being on the radio. I don't know how to be on the radio. And you just said, just, just. Be yourself. And that is that is hard to be oneself. It is the easiest and hardest thing to do on the radio, actually. Because there's these ideas about what people should sound like on the radio, and then people emulate that, whether or not they recognize they're doing it. And if you can break your mind free of that and just mm-hmm. be the you that you are, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have asked you to be on the radio if I didn't see the you that you are off the radio and think that you it could see. be brought on. You see. How is it going to be for you to not be here? It's going to break my heart. I feel I keep saying it's like I am um, leaving my wife whom I still really love. Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's so it's going to wow, be. And that, that wife is, is Bill Newman. <laughs> <laughs> so who's this guy? Who's Larry? Larry. <laughs> he's, he, he's the kid. Larry. He's the kid. This is Josh Silver saying when you two. This is Josh Silver saying. It's being with you guys like being with the. The Bickersons. It's like the just, <laughs> and we informed Josh that we only stay together for the children. That's right. That, that would be Larry. Larry. Larry is the children. That makes sense. Yeah, the, the idea of you guys being my parents is really, <laughs> really scary. You're grounded. <laughs> Larry has two fathers. <laughs> well, Monty, before you go, tell me, Tom Brady, thoughts. You loved him. Remember that you yeah, loved him. I know. I do love him, too. Okay. Uh, I think he is the greatest quarterback of all time. So what was I think that he's sound? got a lot of is it, problems right now. Mm-hmm. Wait, is it reciprocated? Does that he, he thinks I'm the greatest quarterback he, of all time? The, no. <laughs> the no, not DJ. the quarterback. The greatest the radio <laughs> The love. Try to, fo- try to focus here. Tom Brady has never heard of me. As a child who grew up in the shadow of Foxborough Stadium, the fact that we had such a great run um, of a football team that I cared so deeply about my entire life and that it helped me connect even more with my dad. And uh, for all of those things, I'm very grateful. Uh, Tom Brady has a lot, I think, of personal problems that hopefully he'll uh, eventually address Mm -hmm. and overcome. Mm -hmm. But by and large, I think we'll look back on him as a decent human and a the greatest quarterback. Until he runs for senator. And And then I will totally jump off the train. Doug Flutie was there mm-hmm. stumping for Herschel Walker yesterday. No. Another no. New England football wow. legend. And so, clay yeah. feet. Wow. Okay. Really? Yeah. Oh. So the personal is the political for you all the time. Yeah. Well, but here's the other thing. I think I can 
there are lots of people that I disagree with on issues and I want to still love them, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I want to love their humanity through mm-hmm. it. And I w- I'm happy to address all of the things that I disagree with them to their face and beyond. Yeah. But I feel ultimately like my goal is one of the, the we only have a minute left, but when we had the, uh, the, the preacher in here from uh, Shelburne Falls, who was running for governor, who was part of the inf- uh, inspiration behind the Kill the Gays bill in Uganda. Oh. Oh, yeah. My goal was to break through his uh, oh. helmet like Darth Vader yeah. and find the Anakin Skywalker within. I was unsuccessful, but I'll never stop trying. The Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> Love that cultural reference there. We, could cultural <laughs> you know, we, should play, we should play the Weird Al version of that American Pie song because oh, it's all about Anakin Skywalker. Oh, I'm going to queue it up okay. while you okay. figure out what to do with the okay. last 30 seconds. So, Larry, of the show. how are you? <laughs> oh, I'll tell you, I'm finishing up a film myself. I'm, yes. I'm going to nominate it for an Academy Award myself, and it'll be out this spring on PBS. I can't so wait. So, I will do a whole show with you, and we'll have a premiere in Northampton. Oh, right. that's It's called fabulous. The Niagara Movement, The Early Battle for Civil Rights. Right on. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Natalia. Thank, Thank, Thank you, Monty. Thank you, Monty. Gracias, Monty. Nada. Far away. Nabu was under an attack And I thought me and Qui-Gon Jinn Could talk the Federation into Maybe cutting them a little slack But their response, it didn't thrill us They Are you an immigrant? Worried about your future? Do you want to change your life? At Center for New Americans you can take English classes for free. They help immigrants with jobs, licenses, healthcare, as well as immigration and citizenship. CNA helps you create a better future. CNA is like family you can trust that gives you hope and confidence that there is always support for various situations. They help dreams come true. Do you want to be a part of Center for New Americans? Visit our website at cnam.org. Call 413-587-0084. Center for New Americans, with offices in Amherst, Northampton, and Greenfield. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station. 